I don't know about you, but I'm following that guy. So we're continuing our, our series about Moses, and it's called I Am. And we talked about the plagues last week, and we talked about the fact that the Pharaoh finally relented and finally let the Israelites go, and he let them out. And not only did they go, but they went with God's blessing, and like they, they gave them all kinds of stuff, like jewels and riches and gold and all that kind of stuff. They sent them out. Not only did they go, but they went uh, better than they came, as a matter of fact. Well, that's all fine and good, but we all know the story and how it goes, right? So today we continue and we talk about the fact that the Israelites have their back against a wall. Now, I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I felt like my back was against a wall. Like there didn't seem to be any way out. There didn't seem to be another path. It seemed like this was my end, that I was finished, that I was done. You know, as I started thinking about that and, and, and something I could relate to in my own life, um, I could not help but to think about uh, when my daughter was sick and we had a, an opportunity to go to Boston to have a special type of proton beam radiation treatment in Boston. And it was going to be tremendously expensive for us to do that, okay? Uh, proton beam radiation is a specialized kind of radiation that they use primarily on the brain because it doesn't penetrate other parts of the brain. It goes in and it, it hits the parts they wanted to hit and then it kind of stops right there. It doesn't go all the way through the brain. So we wanted to go to Boston to have this special type of treatment because it gave Kenneth the best chances. Well... The thing about proton beam is it's incredibly expensive. Three quarters of a million, if not a, mo a million dollars to go and have this done. We had to get special permission from the insurance company. There had to be a whole team of doctors to, to go and say, yes, you indeed are, are a candidate for proton beam radiation. And on top of the fact that it was going to cost three quarters of a million, if not a million dollars for uh, this special radiation treatment, on top of that, it's very expensive to live in Boston. The cost of living is like three, four times what it is here. We had a hotel room where we got to pay like, we got a discounted rate uh, because we were patients at the hospital. It was going to be like $250 a night. That's what it was going to cost for us to stay there. And we were at this juncture in our life where we said, this is the best thing for Kenneth. Will we do this or will we not? It, it was just that simple. It was like, go or stay. What are you going to do? And I told my wife, I said, we're going. I said, we're going. And she said, well, what about the fact that, you know, we don't have a place to stay and the hotel room is more than we can afford? What about the fact that when we come home, there's likely going to be hospital bills that we, we can't afford to pay? What are we going to do about that? And I said, God's going to make a way. I said, God will make a way. I said, we're going. So we go to Boston. And we're there about a week. And sorry, I'm not, I'm not emotional because of the fact that my daughter was sick so much as I am emotional because God is so incredibly good. His goodness is more than I can describe to you and I'm sorry that this story will fall short of God's goodness. We're there about a week and we're paying $200, $250 a night at the Marriott and God bless them for giving us a discounted rate because we are hospital patients. We have to, if we have something happen and we have to go back to the hospital, it takes like 
you know, 30 minutes to get on a bus or get on the subway to get back to the hospital. It's not like right close to the hospital. We've been there about a week, and they, sell, they tell us that there's this organization who's trying to open up an apartment uh, near the hospital so that people that are staying there, that have kids that are doing the proton beam radiation, can stay at this apartment. They said, the apartment's not ready yet, but we would like for some of the families that are here doing this thing to come to the apartment and show us some of the things that we need to have. Like, we need another TV, do we need another uh, set of towels? What do we need in order for, uh, for families to be able to survive while they're here in Boston? And, okay, we go. And, and us and about five, six other families go, and we tour the apartment and say, man, this is a nice thing. Uh, I just... I, it would be a great thing for us to have something like this. It's wonderful. Here's some things you probably need to consider if you're going to have family stay in here, all this kind of stuff. Well, we get done with sitting in this little roundtable discussion with these people, and we go back down for proton beam radiation. Uh, and we're sitting there in the lobby, and we're waiting on our turn and all that. And this lady comes and pulls us to the side and says, hey, um, I need to talk to you for a second. Okay, so we, we go, and we sit down, and she says, I just got finished talking to the board of directors for, uh, for our organization, and, and we'd like for your family to be the very first ones to stay at our apartment. And she said, but there's going to be a charge for it. Now, understand that a two-bedroom apartment in Boston costs like a million dollars, okay? That's what it costs to have a two-bedroom apartment in Boston. It's not lush and, and all that kind of stuff. It's got parquet floors and it's got some carpet in some places and all that, but it costs like a million dollars. So I'm thinking, well, this is probably going to be outside of our, our, our ability to pay. And sure enough, she says, it's going to cost you something to be able to stay here. I said, okay. Well, here comes the bad news. She said, you think you guys could pay $300 a month to stay here? She said, if you can't do it, then I'll, I'll talk to them and see if we can do something else. I said, you say 300 a month? Yeah, 300 a month. Y'all think y'all can do that? I said, I don't need to pray about it. We can do 300 a month. <laughs> I, I don't even need to consult my wife on that one. I am absolutely sure we can do 300 a month. And, and Christopher Havens, is the, Christopher's Haven is the name of the place, and we continue to follow them on Facebook. And they've even got, they've even got an award that they give to their uh, biggest volunteer of the year, um, and that is, uh, it's called the Kenneth Award, and it's a, it's a snow globe that they give out to the, the volunteer for Christopher's Haven who's done the most that year, and they give that out to their volunteers. Um, we got to stay in this two-bedroom apartment, and the apartment was probably about as far away as from here to the Sunshine Skate Center, away from the hospital. So if we had something come up in the middle of the night and we had to get to the hospital, we just walked across the street. And we got... More importantly than that, we got to be a family. For like, for like eight weeks straight, we got to just spend every second with each other of every day. And we just got to be a family. Uh, Kenneth, she passed from this life to the next. And, and she is with her father in heaven and all that. And I know that. And I, I am so excited that we got to spend those eight weeks with Kenneth just us being a family together. You know, sometimes, I, and I love being around people and I love family and all that, but sometimes when you just get to be around just your little family, sometimes that's better. You get to grow deeper and you get to, to spend that time to bond together. And we got that with Kenneth because of this apartment that God opened up this amazing door for us. So I'm not going to keep dragging out the story, but I do need to tell you this one part. So we were uh, worried, okay, great, God, you handled 
you handled the, the whole situation with where to stay, and that is amazing, and we don't have to worry about that, and we're right across the street from the hospital, all that kind of stuff. But when we get home, we know that there's going to be a ton of hospital bills that we have to pay. But that's okay, God, you have provided, and we give you glory for all of that. And here we have this idea in our mind that we're going to have all these hospital bills to pay, and they come to us, they say, we'd like to do a special kind of eye test on Kenneth to see if the proton beam radiation is affecting her vision. They said, but it's going to cost $75 probably to have this done. We said, well, lady, when we get back to the house, there's no telling how many hundreds of thousands of dollars we're going to have to pay in insurance bills once we get back. I said, sure, let's go ahead and do the $75 eye test. I'm good with that. And uh, so sure enough, we have the eye test. We come back home, and the first bill I received is for this special eye test. And it's for like $58 or something. And I'm like, well... Hey, it's not 75, so, you know, hey, I'll take it, you know, $17, I'll take that, stick it in my pocket. So I get a, a refund check back, like about six weeks later, telling me I've paid too much. That Indeed, they, they send me a refund check for like 29 bucks or something like that, and they say, you've paid too much. And that was the only bill we received from Mass General Hospital in Boston. A $58 check I wrote they returned half of it saying I paid too much that's the kind of God we serve that's the kind of God that I can't explain to you how good he is all I can do is stand up here week after week and try to tell you that God is good I, I believe it I don't, I don't know what else to say all I know is to tell you what happened to me and tell you what I've seen and then tell you that God is good that God provides a way when there doesn't seem to be a way. When it doesn't make any sense that on this earth there's no way that things could happen, that they could work out the way that they do. I can tell you that God is good and God makes a way where there seems to be no way, right? That's what this song says. I've seen it. I, I, I've written the check. I, I've touched it. I've experienced it. God is just that good we see the Israelites right and they're they're all excited about the fact that they've been let go that Pharaoh's let them go that Pharaoh has said you know what you don't have to be slaves anymore you go you do your own thing I'm letting you go you're off the hook God has done all these kind of things to reveal to Pharaoh that he's not playing that God is for real and God is really going to take care of these people and they start going so we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 14 uh, a story that all of you guys are familiar with. We'll put it up on the screen. Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 5, it says this. When the word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done? You know, anybody ever changed their mind like that? Uh, you ever known a person in a position of power to change their mind like that? That never happens, right? Uh, what have we done? Letting those Israelite slaves get away. All of our workers are gone. Man, what are we going to do now? He says they asked. So Pharaoh uh, harnessed his chariot and called up his troops, and he took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army and all his horses and chariots and his charioteers and his troops, the, the Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel. 
As they were camped beside the shore near Pi Haratha, across from Baal Zephon, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than to be a corpse in the wilderness. So here we have these people that are so excited about the fact that Pharaoh has let them free. And they go out into the wilderness and things get a little bit tough because they don't really see what God has in store. They're a little bit confused, if you will, about what's going on exactly. You ever been this way in your life? Like God has done something good. He's taken you to a new level. He's taken you to a new place in your walk with him. And things seem to be good, right? And then you get all confused. You start questioning. You start thinking, man, I don't know if that was God or not. I don't know if maybe, you know, God sent a, a plague to kill all the Egyptian firstborn. I don't know necessarily if God's the one that, that killed all the livestock of the Egyptians but left all of us and our livestock completely unharmed. I don't know if God is the one that sent the frogs, the plague of frogs and locusts and gnats and flies. I don't know if that's necessarily God or if that was just coincidence or happenstance. It seems like no matter how much God reveals himself to us, a lot of times we still go, I don't know if that was God or not. I, things right now don't look so good, so I don't know if in the past that was really God or not. I'm glad that y'all are way more spiritual than I am because you've never had those times, right? I know I've had them in my life where I go, man, things like when Kenneth's tumor came back, you know how quickly I forgot about Boston? Do you know how quickly I forgot about what God had done and how he had rescued us and made a way where there seemed to be no way? You just That's just us, man. That's how we are. That, that's our stubborn minds, and that's how our brains work, and that's the way the people of Israel were, man. They, like God had just set them free. They'd done all, God had done all these things to get them to be able to go and sent them out with treasure and said, man, Go. And here they go, and all of a sudden they're in the wilderness, and things aren't so good anymore. And what do they do? They start to question. They start to ask. Look, look what they said, man. They didn't just say, like, man, this ain't real good, Moses. I don't know if you know what you're doing, man, Moses. I don't know if you, if you got this thing figured out or not. They said, you know what, Moses? It would be better for us to have been enslaved than it would be to be here with you. There are some people like that today that say, man, I'd almost rather go back to slavery just because that's more comfortable. That's where I know. That's the thing I know, so let me go back there because comfort is way, <laughs> it's way more important to them than being set free. You see people like that when it comes to surrendering their life to Christ. It, at least they know what sin is like. At least they know what following their own selfish, fleshly desires. They know what that's like. So that's, that's comfortable to them. And they would rather stay in that because they know it. They know what it feels like. They know what it's like. But when you tell them, you know what, you've got to surrender everything in your life and you give it to Christ. 
And he sets a new path for your life and a new way. I can't give you all the answers for what that looks like, but if you just trust him, I promise you it's better. And they go, no, leave me a slave. Let me stay in my sin. Let me stay captive. This whole being set free thing, I don't know about that. But I know about being a slave. Let me go back to that. And you see that in some Christians' lives too. Right? They'd almost rather go back to captivity. They'd almost rather go backwards instead of going forwards with Christ. Because it's familiar. I know what that's like. I don't want to go and give up everything. What if God calls me to be a missionary in Tanzania? Or God calls me to, be, uh, to go and build houses for poor people in Atlanta that don't have houses? What if God does that? I'm unfamiliar with that. What if God calls me to teach in the elementary department? What in the world? I mean, could that even be possible? Sure enough, people would rather go back to what is more familiar than go towards the freedom that belongs in Christ. And here we see these people are like, were they not? <laughs> Couldn't we have just died uh, as slaves? Wouldn't it have been better? I mean, you got to bring us out here in the wilderness to die? Thanks, Moses. Appreciate you. Let us alone. Let us be slaves to Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people. Well, Moses is telling you today. Thousands of years later. I mean, the number of people that were there at that point in time. Uh, Exodus 12, 37, 38 tells us there are about 600,000 men, which means that if you were to add up the men and women and children and all the livestock and everything, I mean, you're talking... Two million, four million, some people say six million people actually there with Moses looking at him going, great, you brought us out into the wilderness to kill us. Can you imagine that kind of pressure? I sit there and look at 170 people and I go, <laughs> guy had like six million breathing down his neck going, are you sure you know what you're doing? But Moses told the people, maybe this is what God's telling you today. Don't be afraid. If I had to summarize this morning's message for you, it would be those three words. Don't be afraid. When your back is against the wall, when the enemy is pressing down on you, when it looks like there's not a way out, when it looks like doom is right at your doorstep, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you, will see, you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. You, you see all the t-shirts, just stay calm and, I don't know, play tennis or something? <laughs> Here, here's, what, here's what God says. This is what, what Moses said with the power of God. He said, just Stay calm. Stay calm and the Lord will fight for you. Joey, we need a t-shirt. Just stay calm and the Lord will fight for you. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. I imagine that Moses was probably in full-on freak-out mode at this point in time. You know, things aren't looking so good and, and, and the enemy's pressing down on them and, and, and Moses is like, we got to do something. And he's probably crying out to the Lord, come on, Lord, now's the time. I'm waiting on you. You got to do something. 
<laughs> you know what God says to him? I love this, man. You think, you think the Lord is not a little bit sarcastic sometimes, man. He just says, why, why are you crying out to me? You, you mean the same God that rescued you from the Egyptians and poured a plague out on the Egyptians so you could be set free? I fulfilled all the things that you, I told you I would do, and I said you'd go, and not only will you go, you'll go with my blessing. He says, why are you crying out to me now? You know, he says, now's not the time to cry out to me. Now's the time to go. Now's the time to go and take a step of faith. Now is the time to, to stop waiting on me to say something to you. Now is the time for you to move. I believe this is critical for us to understand as believers, as followers of Jesus, is that there comes a time when the God, God says, all right, I heard you, I talked to you, I showed you the way. Now is the time for you to do something. And I believe that's exactly what he's saying to Moses right here. Why are you crying out to me? Just get them in a line, get those six million people together and start going. Maybe that's what God's saying to you today. Maybe God's saying, just move. You know what direction, you know where you're supposed to. It doesn't look like it makes a lot of sense, the direction you're supposed to head, but just move. Just take a step of faith. Go that direction and see what happens. Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? All right. God just told me to go down to the water and raise up my staff so that the sea would part and we could walk across some dry ground. Can you imagine trying to convince the other folks that that's what God had said? That might be a tough sell for me. You mean there's a sea right there, Moses, and you're saying we're supposed to walk across that. All right? So that's exactly what Moses does. He takes, he takes his staff. He goes down to the water. He raises his staff. And what seems impossible all of a sudden becomes possible. See, I believe in our, our walk with Jesus, there's two steps. I mean, there's, there's this command of God, there's this direction of God for you to go and do something that seems impossible, but then there's also your portion of the responsibility, which is to go and do it. To stop talking about it so much and to go and take a step of faith, start walking towards the water, start walking towards a place where you think is the wall, but indeed what it is, it is your salvation. It is your rescue. What ends up happening here is they pass through on dry ground just as God said they would, and then the enemy comes. And the enemy's not going to stop chasing you just because you're following God's direction. I want you to know that. The enemy is still in pursuit. The enemy didn't stop just because you're on the path that God has set for you. The enemy is still coming. You're still fearful. You're still worried. What is going to happen if they follow the same path? What is going to happen when they try to walk down this path through this door that God has opened for me? It says, now we'll harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops and his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all of Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. Isn't that what it all boils down to? 
And it all boils down to glory to God. Even in your trials, your temptations, your difficult situations, when you take that step of faith, when God calls you to something, you take that step of faith, what ends up happening, not only are you uh, in the midst of your salvation, you are also in the midst of God's glory. Because all things work to your good and his glory, right? Kayla said that up on stage just a little bit ago. Romans 8, 28. He says, when my glory is displayed through them, all of Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. Then the angel of God who had been leading the people of Israel moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The clouds settled between them and the Egyptian and Israelite camps. And as darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. Whew, that must have been something to see. But the Egyptians and the Israelites did not approach each other all night. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea and the Lord opened up a path through the water and a strong east wind. And the wind blew all, that, all night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with the walls of water on each side. What we see is that God made a way. He opened the door. He, he parted this Red Sea for the Israelites. And then what we also know happened is after they were gone through and the, the, uh, the chariots and the charioteers and the Egyptian army was following them, God told Moses, you just go back and you raise up that staff again and I'm going to close the door on them. What ended up being, what was a pathway for you, for the enemy, will be a place of doom. It will be a place of destruction. I told you. I told you that the Egyptians that are chasing you now, you won't see them tomorrow. They may be here right now, and your enemy may be on, on your tail right now, but tomorrow they'll be gone because I am the God who rescues my people. That's what the whole story is, right? Isn't that what the I am is? Isn't that what it's all about? It's about God being a rescuer, a redeemer, one who saves his people. Psalms 139. Give thanks to him who killed the firstborn of Egypt. His faithful love endures forever. He brought Israel out of Egypt. His faithful love endures forever. He acted with a strong hand and a powerful arm. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who parted the Red Sea. His faithful love endures forever. He led the Israel... He led Israel through, safely through. His faithful love endures forever. But he hurled the Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who led his people through the wilderness. His faithful love endures forever. God is faithful. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that he is faithful so that you are not tempted, you are not tested, you are not tried beyond what you can stand. It goes on to say that God will always provide a way out. So for you and today, here's the situation. If there are trials in your life, difficult situations, problems, health issues, family issues, relationship issues, whatever the case may be, if you will seek the Lord and you will seek his way, he will always provide a way out. If you're struggling with substance abuse or addiction at some point, God, God will provide a way. God will open up a door. He'll part the Red Sea if that's what's required to provide you a way to salvation. If you are struggling 
in your sin and you haven't surrendered your life to the Lord, He has provided a way. And maybe today you need to walk through that door. Maybe today you need to, to walk through on dry ground to the way that God has provided for you to find salvation, to be set free, to no longer be enslaved to sin. Whatever the case may be, I just ask that you take a step. That you just take a step. Let me pray. Father, thank you, God, for the example Moses set. Uh, for the fact that he knew, he knew if he just trusted in you, if he, if he believed in you and, and believed that, that you would make a way, that indeed you would. God, I, I pray for people in this congregation. Lord, there are people here, and they think that their backs are against a wall. They see no way. They see no possible way that things could be resolved in their life. Well, the only answer is to turn and face the wall and look up towards you and see that you indeed make a way. God, I just praise your name for being a God who knows us so intimately. God, you know exactly what we're in need of. You know exactly what our ears need to hear and, God, what our hearts need to be open to. So, God, for somebody today, Lord, they may need salvation. They may need to be rescued from their sin. Whatever the case may be in their life, God, I pray that they would take a step. God, they would take a step of obedience. God, and then for some, some people, God, they've got trials, temptations, difficulties in their life. God, I pray that they would take a step towards you. God, we know if we draw near to you that you'll draw near to us. So, Lord, I pray that somebody might draw near to you today. That somebody might lay their, their own ways and their own selfish desires aside and just take a step towards you and say, God, I know you will provide a way. Your word tells me that, and I believe it, and I trust it, and I'm going to live believing that you have provided a way. God, whatever you need to do in the hearts and lives of these people, God, I pray that you would do it and it would all be for your glory. God, we exist for your glory. So God, be glorified in our lives. Be glorified by our steps of obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.